Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightman, and uh, I'm here with my co-host, Michael Scott. Actually, that's that's not his real name. So somebody pointed out to me that I should be, um, once in a while, maybe saying your real name so that everybody knows who my co-host is. It is the Right Reverend Michael Zarling of Racine, Wisconsin. And today our guest is David Rudat. Rudat. Uh, and uh, where, where are you? Uh, well, first of all, welcome to our episode. Thank you. It's good to be here. And uh, where, do you, where are you currently serving as pastor? I am serving in Emanuel Lutheran Church in Shirley, uh, Shirley, Wisconsin. Shirley, you know where that is? <laughs> I surely do not. Shirley, you know how to get there. That's one of the other jokes that we do, too. Shirley, you know how to get there, right? So where is Shirley? Shirley is uh, just south of uh, De Pere. So we are like nine minutes away from Costco and like nine minutes away from civilization. But we are still surrounded by cornfields. All right. Well, tell us about your ministry there at Emmanuel and Shirley. Um, well, uh, the ministry here is in a transition. It used to be a bi-parish where you had two congregations, Emmanuel and Shirley, and also St. Paul's and Greenleaf. But um, last year, um, year before, St. Paul's and Greenleaf closed. And uh, so now it's just Emmanuel. And Emmanuel has not been by herself since the 1970s. So it's a, it's a time of transition trying to figure out what do we want. Uh, we don't have to think of another partner. What kind of ministry would we like to do? Uh, I'm also serving as circuit pastor, and there's a lot of circuit activity in this area, uh, congregations that are struggling to provide for their called workers and struggling to um, to do their ministry. So it's coaching them through uh, whatever transition those congregations are going to go through. So can you tell our listeners about the work of a circuit pastor? Because I don't think we've talked about that before even though we've had a couple of guys on that have served in that role, we haven't asked them specifically that question. Well, circuit pastors are elected by the circuit. So from the pastors and teachers of that circuit or, or staff ministers of that circuit and convention, they're elected. Uh, so they are a called position. Uh, they are called to be the right arm of the district president. So they are called to enact um, worship uh, doctrine and practice among the called workers of that circuit and to assist in a um, advisory form for the congregations themselves. I know one of the things that we've talked about in our district mission board, which I'm the chairman of, is asking our circuit pastors to help our DMBs out because we found that circuit pastors are often reactive. You know, you've had an issue, like you kind of mentioned, and now you have to deal with it. And we were asking the circuit pastors to help us out by being proactive and let us know, all right, you know, which is a congregation that's healthy, that's thriving, that we might be able to help out with an enhancement. Where's a congregation that uh, might be looking to you know, do something new, like a new start in an area, where's an, a growing area, those kinds of things and, and help us with, with that kind of information. I think that's a good effort because I think circuit pastors are often, that's all they're known for is the reactive stuff, which is really stressful and uh, takes a lot of work where I would really like to see our circuit pastors be more proactive, not just in the congregations that they serve, but also their pastors having a relationship with their 
the pastors in their midst. I know there's always a stigma. I don't want to confess my sins to my circuit pastor because he's in a position of authority. But I think God designed his church that way, that we would uh, uh, talk to people who were in authority so that they could forgive us our sins. I think that's been a hobby horse of mine since I served as a circuit pastor in South Dakota that uh, have a, a strong relationship with the pastors, get to know them, get to know what's going on and help them uh, be the pastor's pastor, but then also assist the congregations as needed. I think uh, people think that the circuit pastor will always just pick the institution over their called worker, but if they are worth their salt, if they are called by God, they will uh, balance both of those in, in dealing with, say, if a, a pastor and a congregation aren't getting along or if there's some issue between the two of them, I think it's uh, the pastors that God puts in those positions, that called in those positions, are equipped to both be fair in both of those, um, both of those entities, both the called worker and the institution. What I like about uh, what you just said is that um, you, you were talking about confessing sin, and uh, that's something I, I would do when I was in the parish uh, was go to a circuit pastor precisely for that. Um, but if, if you're not intrinsically motivated to do that, then um, what, you, what you followed it up with was getting to know or becoming better acquainted with. And I think that, that this applies not only for, you know, circuit pastors, district presidents and pastors, but for lay people that um, even if it's not an official, like let's sit down and talk about what your, your sins are and let me forgive them for you. Just building a relationship and, and getting better acquainted all the time is a, a big thing. Yeah. And I, I certainly would be better personally if I wasn't circuit pastor, but it is, I see a need. And so this is something where I have served the church wherever I, when I was in South Dakota or whether I'm here, um, I've, I've said to the other guys in my circuit, any one of you guys could be the circuit pastor. And uh, when it comes to election, you guys can, you guys can do it. It's not like a, this is a power play or I'm running for election. I'm campaigning or anything like that. So um, I really feel strongly about the the work of the circuit pastor and i think it's underutilized in our synod and i think um i'm doing my parts to get past the stigma of talking with your circuit pastor so what is your congregation like if uh, you had to give it a personality uh what kind of a personality would the group have uh, i think this congregation is a is a congregation looking for a community. We are like in the midst of five other communities. I, our kids and our team and our youth group, one of the reasons why we did do a youth group is because our kids are going to like five different high schools in the area. So depending on where people are coming from, their kids are going to all these different areas. We're living in Shirley and Shirley has a feed, mar, feed mill and a bar. You know, that's it. But we're nine miles away from Green Bay. We don't really have like the Shirley Parade or the Shirley uh, Chamber of Commerce. We're, we're in the midst of all of that, all of the communities around us. So we're looking for uh, a community. Right now it's more family-based. So if you were raised here or if you had some sort of family connection, you come to a member here. So it's kind of a, we're in a period of transition because the families, you don't have as many families these days in this area. So what are we going to do to reach out to the, to the community and where is our community? And do you find that difficult? Because I'm guessing with De Pere and Green Bay right there, you've got to have a number of other Wells churches in the area. Yep. Uh, we are. 
Uh, I served out West. I started my ministry out of Montana. So I served three congregations out there. It was 120 miles between uh, on a Sunday that I would go uh, in one, one direction. So I know what it's like to be in the outlying districts of our synod. So coming and serving here in Wisconsin, where we are tripping over ourselves, um, it is, uh, I, I can see why do we need to have all these churches? And basically the question I, I'm serving, I'm working with four congregations right now that are in my circuit where you say the gospel hasn't left the area. Your members can go five extra minutes. Why do you guys need to exist? And, and putting that question to them, not to in an authoritative way, it's saying like, we're not going to send give you a pastor or, or those kinds of things, or we're going to take your pastor away. It just answer those questions. What, what is your ministry here? What is your, uh, why is the reason why you are serving? And it isn't just uh, uh, word and sacrament on Sunday, because you can go five extra miles and get word and sacrament on that Sunday. Right. I know one of the, one of our members that had gone to the leadership conference last week came back and one of the presenters had offered the question for people to challenge themselves in their church was, uh, if your church closed with the people in your community notice, you know, what does your church offer to the community? And, and that was one of the things that we're kind of wrestling with here at water of life. Again, we have a new identity only being around two years. Uh, but when we just had our VTO meeting last Saturday, which is vision traction organization. So creating a six year long goal and then working backwards from that. And then one of the things that I mentioned at that meeting was we have a lot of activities for our little kids and teens and young adults and senior citizens and men and women. And, but, you know, a lot of things for a congregation our size, and yet we're all just kind of spread out doing our own thing. And what, I, what we want to do with this VTO is, uh, have a common theme, you know, that we're all working together for that common goal. But that fits with that presentation from the leadership conference so that people in the community know about it and then they can hopefully get involved in that. Uh, so one of the things, Dave, uh, you, we noticed that you've got a pretty professional looking microphone there. So why do you have such a great microphone? Uh, this is actually on loan from my brother. So uh, two years ago, uh, Pastor Harley, uh, Will Harley came to us from South Dakota, and he had a podcast called Casting Nets Podcast that he did with another pastor out there in South Dakota. And two years ago, he invited me to be on his podcast. So we started doing podcasts together, which is our, uh, our the goal of the Casting Nets Podcast is to do like a Bible class 2.0. For those who come to Bible class that want something a little bit deeper, not quite, you know, seminary level, but just uh, have a conversation between two pastors talking about the scriptures, talking about something where we don't necessarily have the time to devote it in Bible class. So uh, the podcast that we had was that we, our theme is, you know, real life living faith, which is not a really creative or memorable theme, but it is a theme nonetheless, which is kind of shapes the, the, the things that we're talking about. Well, it's just talking about Christian faith, or are we going to actually be authentic in this conversation? I'm not trying to have canned responses or canned uh, podcast, just two guys just talking, two pastors just talking uh, to one another. About a year ago, my brother, uh, Jonathan Rudat, who did a podcast of his own, uh, which was called Moving to Attend, he and his wife did a marriage one where they're trying to, it, it, the idea is if you want to move your marriage from where it's at, to 10 so that your, your marriage is at a 10 and they did some episodes 
for that. And uh, life happened. And uh, I said, hey, could I borrow these this uh, equipment? And so he said, sure. And so we, we borrowed the equipment. I uh, went to my congregation as well. And I said, here we have, especially during the pandemic, uh, when everything shut down, the question was, well, what should we do? And the inclination of the members was, was to say, well, we have to set up a video and do our streaming of our worship services. And I said to them, our neighbors down the road are doing the exact same thing. Why don't we just send our members for worship to St. John Maribel or Zion and Morrison? They can watch those services on Sunday. However, both of those entities don't do anything else. That's all they do is the uh, um, video of the services. So can we do something different? So we do did an experiment of doing our Bible classes in a video format and discovering what worked and what didn't work. And uh, that's kind of where uh, right now I'm sitting in the, uh, the classroom, the upper classroom, they used to have a school here. And this is what we're using for online um, Bible classes. So we wouldn't have uh, Bible classes where individuals were actually in the Bible class. We've, I quickly determined that that doesn't quite work as well because people don't want to be on camera. They don't want their answers or their questions known to the world. So what I did was I called it like Bible connections, Bible class highlights, where I would uh, have a visual of, of the of the Bible class. But then I would say during that, well, you know, somebody asked this question or this was brought up in, in Bible class so that people who couldn't make it for our Bible classes, which we have on Thursday afternoons and evenings, they can still feel like they're a part of it. Or if they miss it because they're sick or if they miss it because they have doctor's appointments or whatnot, life happens, they can still feel like they're a part of this community that's here. Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I was going to ask about the casting nets too, because uh, just for, again, for our listeners, when they're on the Raised with Jesus podcast, you know, that they can also download uh, oftentimes the casting nets. Pastor Hagen will put them on the Raised with Jesus along with our Thirsty podcast, which Jeremy and I started around the same time it sounds like you did for a very similar reason of an extra Bible study. And then, you know, and encourage our listeners too. The reason I know about casting nets, uh, besides listening to on the podcast, is I was a guest on the casting nets a few months ago as we talked about multi-site ministry. Yeah, it was great to have you on. And I think it's great for us to share content. We've uh, shared content with Raised with Jesus on our Casting Nets podcast. And so it, it, the more that we can do together, the better that the whole church will be. Yeah, and one of the great things about a podcast is you get to interview other podcasters. <laughs> Just cross-promote. Yes. Yeah. And it's, not, it's fun being a guest um, because I... Uh, you're not racking over what questions do I have to ask them and how do I make them sound good? You can just, well, he's going to give me all the questions and if, whether I want to answer them, it's up to me. <laughs> there you go. So uh, when you were talking about your Bible class before, um, I'm always kind of curious about this, obviously, because I am in more of a teaching position than uh, preaching as a pastor. Um, do you, uh, First of all, do you more often than not use things that you've constructed yourself, or do you like to um, use f study guides or, or formats that uh, uh, the publishing house or somebody has put together for you? Are you talking about in-person, or are you talking about online? In-person. In-person, I, I, I do like to write my own material. I have used uh, the whole Bible project, but just 
the kind of questions that are in the whole Bible project or what Northwestern Publishing House offers oftentimes are a very specific category of question, which isn't always conducive to conversation. I remember uh, Tom Cock did a really good summer. I did a summer um, summer seminary with him with at the right kind of questions that were the different kind of questions that you would ask, which I didn't mm-hmm. get when I was at the seminary. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the, the uh, key words you use like list or an event, uh, identify and, and those kinds of things, helping God's people to actually respond without thinking that they have to give the exact answer that they're trying to figure out. This is the exact, is this the answer you want pastor or, just mm-hmm. get them talking about the the topic and let God's word uh, uh, form and shape their faith rather than it being about an intellectual exercise where you have to get the right answer that pastor asked. That's a kind of my next follow-up question had to do with, it sounded like when you were talking about rehashing for the people uh, online, what had happened in the in-person Bible class that you would say, well, this person had a question about this, or it, it, it sounded like, do you, do you feel like you have pretty lively discussions? And if so, um, how do you do that? Um, I think that's still a work in progress. We did pastor uh, Enderly, um, James Enderly and I did an online Bible class on the book of Jonah once where we were just specifically gearing it for the online uh, community and asking questions and so on and so forth. Um, and a lot of times we, the fewer questions you ask, the better for as far as conversation goes. And then when you're doing an online Bible class, you also have to figure out a way to fill the dead air. Like on casting nets, we've been experimenting with live uh, podcasts where we would have a live podcast. People can ask questions during that podcast. Well, you, if you ask a question, you have to give them time to type it. And some individuals are like two minutes behind. So you got to, you got to make sure you can fill the airtime and uh, fill the the conversation so that uh, anybody who who brings a, a comment, the most I shouldn't say anybody because you don't you can't catch everybody, but the most of the conversations that are done online can get uh, a response in a timely manner. Do you guys do this? One of the things I've started doing in writing my my Bible studies, especially the Romans ones I'm writing right now for the adults and then teens is more discussion questions. Do you guys do that too? In the class in the classroom for Jeremy or for you guys for your adults and so forth, Dave? Um I yeah, I've had to be pretty creative cuz the afternoon class is a completely different mindset than the evening class. So some of the questions you have to gear toward the those in the afternoon and then some of the questions you have to gear for those in the evening cuz there's a different mindset of people coming to either one of those Bible classes. So um some of the questions sometimes fall flat and it's like, well, it's, we're going to, we're going to breeze right past that one, or I'm going to answer that question because I know this is the question wasn't written for you. It was written for the evening class, that kind of thing. Jeremy, what about you and with discussion questions in your group with teens? It's just a really difficult thing. Um, I can, I can say this is a discussion question, but just because I say, discuss this doesn't mean that people are going to want to, um, whether I'm, you know, it's a, a high school or a, an adult class that I'm teaching. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's a really tricky thing not to just throw those questions out there that are just like you were saying, let's give the pastor what he wants, the answer he wants to hear. Um, 
that's not really discussing it. And that's most often the easiest ones to write are those types. You find, Jeremy, that uh, I taught high school last semester at Manitowoc Lutheran High School, and the time of the day really affects things, doesn't it? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. What What was your experience? Uh, I had a, a morning class, so it was like second hour, so the kids weren't awake yet. So it was, you know, you, you had some discussion. There was um, some, I think I taught, it, w- it was designed that, that area pastors would teach like two weeks, but since it was a morning uh class and it was right during all of the other pub, the other Christian day schools have their confirmation. I forget what day of the a week they usually have it, but it was in the morning, which is when they usually have confirmation in, in the Christian day schools. So the area pastors weren't available. So they asked me to do like eight of the 10 units. And so mm. uh, it was, it was very much a, well, it all depends on the topic on the day. Um, but I didn't know cause I didn't have them Throughout the day, I just had them one one time slot. Sometimes I would just like, you know, today the coffee didn't didn't activate or the soda didn't activate yet, or they had a pep rally the night before, so they're not good for much and things like that. It's it's a weird thing because sometimes it's the morning sessions that are the I find that are the perkiest, um, and then it's after they've been grinding through the day that they're ready to be done and they're zoning out. But then, like you said. Sometimes they're just really sleepy in the morning and the uh, last set of the day can be, you know, really rambunctious because they're squirrely and they want to get out. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of a toss. I I think, yeah. Yeah. That's, so I, that's all I know. To, to, to finish off the, the topic, the Bible class online that I do the highlights is not really a um, designed to be, I'm going to ask this question and I'm wait for your answer. That's our casting. That's live podcast does that. But the Bible class highlights is more of here's some of the things that we talked about today as an outline for more of a content. Cause if you're it's designed for someone who's uh, driving their tractor, dri- uh, driving to work or working out, they just want the content rather than the, did, the did ability you say, to interact. Did you say that and surely they're driving their tractor to work? No, no, uh, maybe or, I did. did you <laughs> say driving their said, tractor? You said they're driving their tractor or they're driving to work. Oh, I missed the, missed the comma or the or. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jeremy, you want to get into the gospel lesson? Yes. Matthew 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them. He said these things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, because they will receive mercy. Blessed are the the pure in heart, because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. In fact, that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Before we get into the questions on this text, I want to ask you guys, have either of you been to 
Jerusalem and Israel and seen seen the the church of the Beatitudes and and the site where they believe Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount? Yes. Back okay. in 1999, I went. So that was the year when all the millennialists were all excited because they thought 2000 was going to be the time when Jesus was going to return. So there was a lot of activity at the time. But uh, obviously, we're still here. <laughs> Jeremy, what was your what was your take on the Church of the Beatitudes? Uh, it, it was kind of neat. Uh, so there's a big banana grove growing all around it now. And our tour guide said that before that banana grove was there, there was a, there's like a hill and uh, it sort of makes like almost an amphitheater shape that would have been very natural for a crowd to gather. And uh, then sort of at the bottom of the amphitheater part of the hill, um, it, he said that he would stand, you could stand there and uh, just uh, have somebody stand up at the top of the amphitheater part of the hill and they would they would they said say something so that we can hear you up there and they would shout and they and then the tour guide said no talk softer and they would keep talking softer and softer and then until they were at just a normal speaking level and the people at the top of the hill said that they could still hear them and uh so there's just a lot of natural acoustics that make it kind of neat why do you yeah. ask the question mike Oh, I've been there too. And and that's, that's one of the things that I encourage people if they have the opportunity to go to Israel to see some of these places where Jesus was. And then I think one of the, the neat things too is seeing like the Church of the Beatitudes, how whichever Christian denomination built those churches, they are very unique. They're not like our typical churches here that are rectangle. And, and that's fine. But uh, they are each very unique for that specific setting, like like this one. Uh, it has, let's get into it, it's like octagonal with a window for each beatitude uh, that makes it makes sort of like a circular or octagonal. Or how many how many beatitudes are there here? Yeah, I think you're right. That's what I was remembering too, but I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to be wrong. <laughs> uh, so, so Dave, yeah. the Beatitudes, these statements of blessing have been called the gateway to the Sermon on the Mount, but hearing them must have given pause to many of those in the crowd. Why do you think the Beatitudes are hard for so many to swallow? Are you asking me? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I missed the Dave. Uh, I think it's because of the whole concept of the word uh, blessed in the pagan sense is always an, a well-being attached to some sort of external uh, evidence. So whether you are wealthy or whether you have power or whether you have influence, you would say you are blessed. And uh, that's hard for us to swallow because even Christians use, I am so blessed in those terms. We say, I'm so blessed because of what I have. I have a house over my head. I have a family that takes care of me. I have money in the bank. I am blessed by God, which God is taking care of you, yes, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Is your well-being is attached to the fact that you have a God who is on your side rather than this external uh, possession. Or we might look at uh, being blessed by God in terms of what we accomplished. Uh, I was able to uh, put the deer in the freezer. I was able to uh, get the job promotion or something like that. I am blessed. Uh, God gave me these abilities to get there. Yes, God did give you those abilities, 
But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about we have a well-being that is not attached to our external circumstances. Or someone else might say, well, I'm blessed because if I compare myself to somebody else, I compare myself to that child in Africa uh, who doesn't have a, a, a roof over their house, over their head. Again, God does provide, and that's be, purely be, by, because of his grace, but it is not what Jesus, why Jesus says we are blessed in this section. And that's well, that, hard. Not, you're right. In other words, you're pointing out that uh, the blessing is about things that you don't have, the, rather than what you like. Every single one of these is blessed are you because of some shortage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Well, I was going to get to that too, Jeremy. You know, hard to swallow. Are these statements of blessing? Are they law statements or are they gospel statements? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it goes to your next question on the sheet about who is the audience? Who is Jesus talking to? Is he talking to people who are um, coming into the faith or whether people who are already having this vertical relationship with God because of uh, the working of the Holy Spirit through the means of grace? Right. And there, that's kind of why I was uh, wrote the questions this way is, I think a lot of people think they're law statements that you do this and then you'll be blessed. But what I've always taught and preached on that they're gospel statements that Jesus is saying, this is what you are. You are blessed because you're disciples and that's the audience. Uh, so then we, we kind of touched on this, but if you want to build on this, Jeremy, what does it mean then to be blessed? Uh I don't know, Dave. What's your opinion? Uh, that uh, the well-being kind of a concept, because uh, sometimes it's translated as happy, and then of course that takes us down a road that right. uh, um, was like, well, I don't feel very happy, or I don't feel very blessed. Especially if you look at all the things that you are without, uh, like you were saying, Jeremy. But uh, that this whole idea of well-being, you're in a good spot because of God, because of your vertical relationship with God, even despite all of the horizontal problems around you, you are still in a good spot. You have a, uh, your, your situation is good because you have God. I, I deferred because I didn't want to at first say the first thing that popped into my mind, but maybe I should say it. Um, thank, thank you, Dave, for bailing me out. Um, uh, I, I was thinking of the passage from Acts where Paul says it is more blessed to get, it is more blessed to give than to receive and how Jesus is the most blessed of all because he is, and that's even what people say on Palm Sunday is, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, um, that uh, God is just a constant source of giving. He's giving, giving, giving. Um, but uh, but you're, you're just as blessed when, I, I think the thought I'm trying to tease out here is, you're just as blessed when God takes away. Right. And you were saying, Dave, too, about being happy, that sometimes people make those synonyms of blessing, blessed and happy being equal. And they're not because I think happy is oftentimes based on your circumstances. Uh, you know, I may not be happy that it's snowing or happy that I got in a car accident, happy I have a flat tire, whatever it is, but I'm still blessed. I'm blessed that, hey, it's snowing. We're getting some precipitation, which is needed. I'm blessed because although I wrecked my car, it's not as bad as it could have been. You know, I'm blessed that I know how to, uh, I know how to change a tire. All those kinds of things that are 
inner instead of outward. And I think that's, and like Jeremy said too, it's in God's, Jesus viewpoint here, blessing is often the opposite of what we would think would cause happiness. Yeah, with all of the external things that we don't have, all of the external problems that we have, or all of the, the difficulties we have with others, or, or the difficulties we have with our illnesses and, and diseases and, and, and the, the mourning, the sadness, we always have Christ, which is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, which I really like how 1 Corinthians and, and the Beatitudes here are paired together because we are reminded we are always blessed despite the fact that we have uh, difficulties in our life or despite the fact that we have uh, persecutions or despite the fact that we are um, thinking of our own self and, and saying we're poor in spirit. I'm getting ahead of the game, but to just the idea of coming before God and saying, I got nothing. Uh, all I've got are, I'm, I, all I have are sins. And here God says he takes them away, makes us poor in spirit that we no longer have our sins because he takes them away, give, gives them to Christ. We still have Christ. So we are still blessed. There you go, Dave. You just jumped to the next statement. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I, I, what I want to do is kind of like I think a pastor would do in the sermon, but we can spend more time than the 20 minutes in a sermon looking at each one of these Beatitudes. So you already started it, Dave. Uh, let's look at what each of these statements that Jesus says of what he's teaching. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what's he saying there? Dave. Oh, um, oftentimes people look at this and say, well, you got to be poor. That, that's the uh, you know, blessed are the people, the the uh, homeless and so on. Whereas poor in spirit is what, what Jesus is talking about, where you are empty of your of your sin. You're empty of any kind of attachment uh, to this world. Uh, and this only comes through repentance, which is what John the Baptist preached, which is what Jesus preached. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh Go, go start with this vertical relationship with God and recognize in comparison to God, you are nothing. You, and all you have to contribute to the equation is sin. And by God's help and by God's power, we repent, we empty ourselves of that. We make ourselves poor in spirit. We, empty, we confess our sins to him and he gives us everything, the kingdom of heaven, forgiveness of sins, life, salvation, all our hours because Any, of Jesus. Anything you want to add to that statement, Jeremy? Nope. Okay. Yeah, and I would just add too that, you know, like Martin Luther said, we are beggars. You know, that we are we are recognizing that we are spiritually poor in our sin, and yet we're made rich through uh, rich before God through faith in Christ. So Jeremy, the next one, what is Jesus teaching when he says, Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted? Uh I, I guess I'm going to go back and come to the defense of the translation happy, um, not because I like controversy, but just because uh, that, that is a, a common way. To, and I think there could be a proper way to think of it, too, that um, if you think of the biblical concept of joy, that you can be joyful in all circumstances. Um, so you, you can be if you if somebody's reading a Bible that translates this as happy, um, you, you could uh, say you are actually happy even when you're mourning because you always have that hope of eternal life uh, and free salvation um, that is assured to you. And uh, when it comes to this most recent 
uh, death or whatever you know it is that you're mourning, there will be comfort. It's not going to last forever. Jesus already suffered hell and eternal mourning in, and grieving in your place. So uh, you will be comforted. That brings us to verse five. And well, before, uh, before Michael, we get to that, Michael, if you uh, could tell us about oh, verse five, why don't you take that one? All right. Well, before we get to that one is uh, it's OK if you, we talk about the happiness part, because I I did preach a sermon several years ago on this text. And the theme was God's kind of happiness. And so, you know, I, I did take that word uh, happy. And and I think, too, just to build on that last one first is of, uh, you know, mourning i think that's a a unique thing i've preached for a lot of funeral sermons over the years uh i still remember i did 15 funerals my first year here uh and just the the joy that people have and i've had some some tough ones like a newborn you know only a week old and so forth those are a lot tougher but for the most of most part when uh they the family knows that you know, their saint, their beloved saint is in heaven through faith in Christ. You know, that mourning is is mixed with happiness and joy. Uh, which verse do you want me to talk about, Jeremy? Well, I just want to make sure you're not ping-ponging it back to just with me and Dave picking on us all the time. So, all right, uh, yeah, verse, verse 5. Blessed are the gentle because they will inherit the earth. Uh, I think what Jesus is talking about here is the opposite of what our world looks at. Uh, I think our world will look at blessing and happiness from being powerful and you know putting putting yourself out there. The whole reason why there are TikTok videos and so forth, getting likes on yourself. Because I know Jeremy is really into, I don't, it's not TikTok. What is that new app that you have, Jeremy? Be, be real. Okay. Well, I don't know if you're, I'm sure you're not doing it for, for likes and so forth. But uh, what Jesus is talking about here is, I think, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile. Uh, and then we're blessed that even though we may be gentle, meek, patient, lowly, that we are still going to be able to inherit the earth and knowing that the earth really is, isn't this earth, it's the new heavens and the new earth. Do you guys have anything else you want to add to that verse? It is really hard to think of others first. It's easier to do it if you think, well, they'll pay me back in kind. I can grovel for a little bit if I'm a king later, if they're treating me well later. And uh, this whole concept of you're gentle now, why? Because of this vertical relationship you have with God, that God is with you. You have Christ, so you have everything. And you have this, the 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 heaven and the... Uh, new heaven and new earth that you, to look forward to. But you also have a God today who's taking care of you, who promises to take care of you so that you can be giving. You can be gentle to somebody else. You don't have to always fight to protect yourself. So let's go on to the next one. Verse six, Dave, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. I think I really like how it flows from uh, verses from the beginning, you know, poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness just follows after that. It's really hard for us to do the right thing, especially when, if you're being gentle towards others, you're being forgiving, you're being merciful, you're, you're going one direction from you to the others. It, uh, 
re- you realize just how much you fail at doing that and you want to do better. You want to be the person that God has called you to be. And it's, it's a struggle. And so Jesus, and so the reminder to us, the hunger and thirsting for righteousness that we don't have, uh, we're constantly reminded just how much of a sinner we are, but now we have Christ and therefore we have everything. We have everything we need. I think, uh, the uh, um, small called articles talks about this as well as uh, we live our faith. I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but as, as we live our faith, uh, Christ fills in the cracks when we uh, fall and falter. It's still, even it, even if we sin when we're trying to do what is right, it's still covered over by Christ. We'll be filled with Christ and the righteousness that uh, we want to be is a righteousness. We are a righteousness that God creates through the means of grace a righteousness that uh, is continued to be ours because of Christ, not because of our effort or our um, trying to do what is right. Yeah. And one of the things that we're working on at water of life right now is getting some of our members back into the sanctuary that have kind of been gone for the last couple of years. And one of the things then is trying to get them to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But part of it is for them to realize that they're hungry and thirsty that, you know, they haven't been in the church for two years, or maybe they've been watching online, which is different than being in the sanctuary. And so it's trying to get them into the sanctuary and then realize, oh, look at what I've missed. Yeah. Uh, We had, when we uh, dealt with COVID, I mentioned before about our congregation wanting to stream online and, and saying the other churches in the area, are already doing that. Why are we trying to duplicate our efforts? The, the members still said, we still would like to be able to give people communion who can't, who can't make it and have them feel a part of the community. So we did do broadcast our services on, on a radio. So if you're within 500 feet of the church, you can come and park and we'll bring you communion. We'll, and you can be a part of the worship service. And they still are doing that today, even though the individuals that are doing are sitting out there in their cars are no longer doing it because they're afraid of COVID. Now they just, they'd like it. I guess it's, you have your Monday evening worship services that people actually, they begin to like it. And so they like being out there. They, they roll their windows down. They, they are church to the other people in the parking lot. Uh, they're visiting with one another. They're encouraging one another and they're also receiving the Lord's gifts. Jeremy, what is it? What is Jesus teaching when he says, blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy? It's that, uh, it, well, first of all, no one can be merciful without first knowing about God's mercy. Uh, that's not a natural human um, mentality to have that, that you're, you, you, you let somebody off the hook for doing something bad uh, that a society won't survive if they take that as a mentality. Uh, but that is that is God's way of thinking. So if you are merciful at all, it has to be because uh, God was first merciful to you. And then it is a kind of a wonderful, it's the opposite of a vicious cycle. It's uh, you, you are merciful and then uh, you find that other people are merciful with you because you've been merciful with them. And uh, that's that's how it goes. Yeah, I find that as a parent as well. I I don't know, Jeremy, if you're a parent. Yes. Yeah. Where you teach your kids, say you're sorry, and then you say, I forgive you. And then you have a moment where you lose your cool and you shout at your kids and you go, kids, I'm sorry, I lost my cool. I should not have shouted at you. And what the kids say, 
dad, we forgive you. Just that whole pattern of going from, like you said, it's got to start somewhere. So it starts with Christ and God forgiving us, showing us mercy. So therefore we show mercy to others. But isn't it neat when that mercy also comes back to us? And, and Mike, too, you're a parent too, right? You have I your am. daughters. You, you can yeah. speak about this from experience as well. Right. How often do you apologize to your daughters? Oh, I have a I have a difficulty of, well, I have apologized to them, but first they have to make a mistake and then <laughs> uh, I'd have to say I'm wrong. That would be my, that would be the thing that my, my wife would say about me is that in 20, almost 29 years of marriage that I haven't said I'm wrong yet. I've told her a lot that she's right because she's a lot, she's right a lot more often than I am, but I haven't really admitted that I'm wrong. Uh Let's go to the next one. Blessed are the pure in heart because they'll see God. And I'll talk about that one that I think the, the pure in heart are those who are washed clean by the blood of Christ. And so that makes them able to stand holy in God's sight. They're able to speak without ulterior motives. They're, they're not concealing their selfish interests. And then uh, they'll be blessed because they'll be able to see God, uh, be able to be like Moses, except more so. You know, think of Moses uh, up on Mount Sinai. He asks to see God, and God said, you can't see me. You can only see my backside, otherwise you're going to die. And yet we're going to be able to see God in Revelation, John says, be able to see him face to face. And it's being pure in heart that makes us able to see God because he can't be in the presence of sinners. Dave, what is like he ta talking about? What's that? Go ahead. Verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will oh, be wait, called. I'm right, I'm right, I want to go back in verse eight. I'm sorry. Uh, no, we're done. No, it's okay. <laughs> so we can go back. We're moving on, Dave. Uh, uh, I like how the the train the train of thought flows. So if, as you are uh, someone who is poor in spirit, have you you gone to God and confessed your sin and acknowledged your sin? As you are uh, a new person that's created, that's created to be giving, and then you find yourself, I'm struggling, I'm not living up to that. And then again, um, you're shown mercy. Now, pure in heart, seeing God for who he really is, not just the God who is in standing in judgment over your sin, but a God who forgives you and a God who loves you, uh, a God who is providing for you. And that only happens through the confession and absolution, through the the pure purity of heart of cleansing our hearts through uh, um, confession confessing our sins to him, which is an activity that God does in us, leading us to uh, confess that sin to him, but then also him giving us forgiveness through his called workers. Yeah. So verse nine, I'm supposed to do that. Verse nine. Yeah. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Again, as we flow, we are now at peace with God. Uh, we, our sins have been forgiven. Now God has also called us to, um, to do that to others, to Matthew 18, uh, care front someone of their sin and then also so that you can give them uh, forgiveness but it's it's hard <laughs> um it is hard to be a peacemaker isn't it i i don't know if you guys have done it i remember i was 27 years old 28 years old fresh pastor out in eastern montana two ranchers who were 67 years old and they're two brothers and they had a feud between the two of them and they said pastor can you come sit at our living room table or dining room table and and help help us talk us through this. And you're like, 
what qualifications do I have other than you know the, 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 the call? Like you guys have known each other for years, and here I have to sit here and try to have a, a mediate between these two two brothers or family members, and how difficult that is to do. And it is something that can only um, be accomplished through the working of God and the Word. In um, but, and I think a big thing that um, make made the difference there is that they were willing to they they were reaching out to you and saying we would like to be at peace. And uh, I, I don't know if there's anything more about that episode that you want to uh, get into details of, but I was also just thinking of the proverb where it says that God's word tells us not to insert ourselves in somebody else's quarrel. It's like, I think, is that the one where it says, it's like grabbing a dog by the ears is somebody who inserts themselves in, in another person's quarrel. And so it's kind of a balance of are you, am I really? Being I wasn't a inserting myself into their. Court no, 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 no. I, right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I. There are two different things going on in my brain, and I crossed paths while I was talking about them. Uh, I, I apologize. No, that's not what I meant I at all. You. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, I was I was thinking of a follow up to this verse about being a peacemaker, and sometimes, and it's totally separate issue. Uh, I might be tempted to think it's my business to be a peacemaker when actually I'm inserting myself contrary to that proverb. And yeah. uh, that's, that's it, a, it's a difficult thing to find that, that balance. Yeah. In what way are we called to be peacemakers? Are we called to make everybody's lives easy so that they don't have any conflict with other individuals or are we called to be peacemakers to, and according to Matthew 18, somebody sins against us. Um, we go and show their fault or as pastors counseling or as friends counseling friends who are having marital difficulties or trying to uh, keep these things together because these individuals have called you to to help you. And whether it's a formal way or an informal way, help us uh, get past this. Yeah, and that was the big thing that I, I saw as the difference with your situation that you described, which is so wonderful that they were eager to have peace and they were, they were wanting God's word to be involved and you were the bringer of God's word. Yeah. And I think it's important too to understand it's peacemakers. Uh, I talk about this an awful lot that we as Christians, and I think especially we as Wisconsin Synod Lutherans have a spirit of quietism. You know, we like to be off in our corner doing our own thing. We understand the world is evil and wicked and it's doing its own thing and just don't bother us and we won't bother anyone else. Uh, and, and yet you know, we think that we're gonna live at peace that way. And yet uh, we need to understand that we can't just be passive and sit back and then trouble's going to pass us by. You know, it's important this is peacemaker. We bring the peace like you guys are talking about. Let's finish it up this, the Beatitudes, uh, with verses so in 10 words, 11 i think peacemaker should be like uh the the handgun right that's your kind of peacemaker well it at times it has to be but <laughs> i don't think that's exactly what he's talking about here uh let's finish up talking about the last couple of verses as jesus is referencing persecution uh, so I'll ask you first jeremy and then dave you can add anything about persecution when he says Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. In fact, that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what what's he talking about with all this persecution, Jeremy? I think it's important, first of all, I, I remember uh, reading this as a kid and um, thinking when, you know, people would pick on me or bully me or whatever, that uh, this, these were words of comfort that applied to me. And maybe they were, but I, I also think it's easy to take on a martyr mentality and, and, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm so, I'm so uh, put upon by the world. And that's why Jesus adds these words here, like falsely, when people <laughs> falsely say all kinds of evil against you, um, when uh, when if you are persecuted because of righteousness, uh, it's not just because you're being a bullheaded jerk, uh, then that you're being persecuted. It's because you are actually seeking to spread God's kingdom, and uh, and you meet with opposition for that reason. Well said. Anything else you want to bring up with that, Dave? Yeah, and and I think of. Uh, you know, right, uh, you know, rightly being persecuted for our faith, like you mentioned, Jeremy, is uh, this happened a couple of times recently in England. You know, first, there was a lady, then it was a gentleman who are standing outside of an abortion clinic and praying silently, and yet they are arrested uh, and fined for praying silently. And if uh, that's going to happen, well, when we speak the truth in God's name, the persecution is going to, you know, come down on us. And yet, uh, I think we want to be like the apostles, you know, where they are, uh, they're rejoicing because they're counted worthy to suffer disgrace for Jesus' name, and and in that way, we're blessed that we're counted uh, worthy of being persecuted. Anything else you want to bring up with the Beatitudes, guys? All right, Jeremy, you want to get into the epistle lesson? Sure. First uh, Corinthians chapter one. For example, consider your call, brothers. Not many of you were wise from a human point of view. Not many were powerful. Not many were born with high status. But God chose the foolish things of the world to put to shame those who are wise. God chose the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are strong. And God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to do away with the things that are so that no one may boast before God. But because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom from God, namely our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God did this so that just as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So Jeremy, this is uh, the theme for this year for Shoreland. Why this this section for a theme for, for the school year? Uh, it, it's specifically verse 30, uh, and there's just um, so much in there that uh, we want our young people to soak up. Uh, and one of the things that we, I'm, I'm hoping that they get is God is his attributes. In other words, Jesus is not just a wise man or a righteous man or a sanctified or, you know, he actually is righteousness in the flesh he's wisdom in a human body he is sanctification uh that's that's actually 
the one uh, we divided the the school year up into four quarters and the first quarter we looked at the theme of wisdom and then uh, last uh, second quarter we looked at righteousness and right now we're in the quarter where we're looking at sanctification um, and those are all uh, very important things for our young people to know about uh, under the th larger theme of walk in wisdom. Very good. So Dave, the Corinthian congregation, you know, it had a few prominent members, but the majority of the congregation were considered poor and lowly. How does this fit the pattern of God using the weak things of the world to silence the people of the world or to silence people the world consider strong? Uh, that's a good question. I know uh, from, was it Acts and Galatians, we know about Erastus, who was the treasurer. So he was probably the only prominent member of the Corinthian congregation, maybe one or two other guys. So um, the uh, the Corinthian congregation did not have a lot going for them, especially if you're reading the whole book of First Corinthians, where you would say to the, yourself, man, these guys are pretty petty. Like I followed Paul and I follow Apollos and I follow Cephas and I followed Christ where they were uh, very clicky. And uh, you would say, this is not a very strong congregation. If you would do like an analysis of the congregation, you would say, I'm not sure, you know, you would, you would say that this is a, a, a strong mentality. And then of course the individuals um, having the Lord's supper and people are hungry, having the Lord's supper, not even able to have it because others were able to uh, enjoy it to the full and, and then some. So uh, the the Corinthian congregations are ex exhibit A of God displaying his power and strength and wisdom and weakness because he has called this group to be, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, saints. Uh, he has called them apart, set them apart from this unbelieving world to be uh, his uh, ho holy people. And that's what God does all the time, doesn't he? Uh, he calls you and I um, to be Christians. And who are we? So. Jeremy, how do you see Christians and Christian churches today being castigated as being weak and foolish? I suppose you could look at the examples of um, churches that have a lot of elderly members uh, that that people think, well, we don't we don't have the young people, and uh, so those are the churches that are going out of style. Those are the churches that are. Um, or, or if, if there are uh, young people there, they, they are maybe, there are very few of them, and uh, they are uh, sort of seen as quirky or uh, old-fashioned, that, that they're going to, you know, they're, they're, they're behind the times. And uh, I, I don't know if I have a good specific example of, like, an explicit way that people label churches as, as weak or foolish, but that's just kind of more of a sense that I get. I do like this, the topic of foolishness and wisdom. Like it's very applicable because like right now it is a good time to be foolish with all of the fact checking and all, every, everybody's uh, lives being transparently out there on the internet and how we've seen how people are led astray and thinking they're wise, thinking that they're smart. They've got the answer. They know what uh, whether they are for the vaccine or against the vaccine, whether they're for masks or against masks, both sides had science on their side. They had knowledge on their side. And you realize just how um, foolish both sides are, or they don't know as much as they think they know. 
And it gives us an opportunity to talk about who really, like you were saying, Jeremy, who really is wisdom, who really is true. And it's God and everything else is foolish. So it's not as if we're portraying to God's people that um, uh, God's word is foolish and, but it's, it's actually wise. It is actually, this is the world we're living in. We're, a, we're living in a world that thinks it knows what's true, what it thinks it knows what wisdom is, it thinks it knows what is right. But God is the one who has the final say, and he is the one that we uh, need to um, listen to. And this God also works in this world in very humble ways and very, uh, we, we would look at it and say, this, is, this doesn't make any sense how Jesus would live the life that he did uh, here on earth without all of the power and pomp and, and worldly success. Yeah, and then I think, too, to build on what you were saying, Jeremy, about uh, as you see churches dwindling in size and closing, it appears that churches don't have a lot of influence in America anymore. I've been working this week on some presentations for our mission board, and uh, these are some very small congregations, uh, kind of restarts, meaning they're, they were close to dead, you know, 20, 30 members. And yet, uh, going through their Facebook page, pages and calling through photos and posts, you know, rejoicing with them about this baptism of this baby or this family that joined the congregation. It may look kind of weak and foolish to the world, and yet that is salvation right there at the font. Uh, that is salvation that that family is tasting for the first time possibly in the Lord's Supper at Communion. Again, looks weak and foolish to the world, and yet it is something that is powerful. Uh, so, Dave, how does God often choose the lowly and despised to be his children? Oh, um, I thought the question was why. Why does God choose? Or do you want how? How does Either God one. choose? That's just because of, I guess the same answer is the same. The answer is the same. Grace? Yeah. What? <laughs> So this is like this is like those questions that you get uh, on your online Bible study, and they just write one word: Jesus. Jesus, yeah. Confirmation questions. I've I've actually my entire ministry, aside from uh, a vacancy that I served for six months, I've always taught public school kids, and so a lot of I've had a lot of the you know Jesus God answers when kids have the 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 the, the rolling of their eyes. Um, yeah, lowly and despised compared to who? Compared to God, everybody is lowly and despised. And the fact that God does anything is because of his grace. And then the last question I have, Jeremy, is how can Christians boast in the Lord? You know, because you would think that boasting would be wrong. And yet Paul says he's boasting in the Lord. Why is it okay to boast in the Lord? That makes me think of 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about boasting in his weaknesses and uh that is, and the way he says it is, when I am weak, then I am strong. Um, and that uh, th there was a very interesting presentation at the leadership conference where the presenter sort of uh, hinted at, if anybody was at that in Chicago uh, the, a week ago, um, the presenter sort of hinted at the fact that we put so much emphasis on the uh, Clifton Strength Finders and uh, it, it is true that you want to try to play to your strengths when you have strengths, but it, it's uh, the way Paul describes it in Second Corinthians is boast in your weakness, and that is um, then when God will do His greatest work when you are at your lowest or when when you are at your weakest, um, and so that's 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 
when you can boast is when God is doing great things in your life that you uh, didn't do for yourself. Yeah, and, and there I would think with boasting in the Lord too, uh, I just read something from the Synod on our congregational mission offerings. So for our listeners in your church budget, that CMO, that that's up again. Uh, like every year, the last few years, the, our congregational mission offerings to support the Synod's mission work ministerial and home and foreign missions is has increased in a time when uh, a lot of our budgets have decreased in our homes. Uh, Again, mission board 110, how are we going to do this? Well, it's only because God's going to do it, and it's we boast in the Lord. And uh, I was just asked today to give a presentation in a few months for a, a Lutheran Women's Missionary Society, LWMS, on our multi-site merger here at Water of Life. And like awesome. you said before, Dave, that uh, with the congregations in your area, and it's not just your area, there's a lot of churches that are struggling, but to look at themselves and say, how can we do ministry different? How can we do it better? And then when the Lord, uh, as the Lord grows those congregations that were on life support, you boast, you boast that the Lord did this. So anything else you want to bring up with that, Dave? Uh, can I bring up a small cold article quote? From the Confessions, I know I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the Book of Concord and the Lutheran Confessions, but uh, in Article uh, Part Three and and I don't know, is uh, Part Three, uh, Article Twelve, and Paragraph Three, it says, and you can go to BookofConcord.org and and, uh, and look it up. It says we can't boast of any merits or works if they are viewed apart from God's grace and mercy. There you go. So it's the, it goes back to what we were talking about with the Beatitudes, where so oftentimes we think of we are blessed, we are happy, we are uh, in a well, sp uh, well, we are placed in a good spot in life. We oftentimes always are looking at the externals, well, um, but we are still boasting in the Lord, not because of the external, but because we have Christ. And so these congregations who are struggling, you would say, boast in the Lord. This is what you have. You have the means of grace. You have of Jesus, and uh, as John Hind would say, if you are doing all you can, the numbers don't matter, but are we doing all we can uh, to spread this gospel, to spread this Jesus uh, in the world? Are we boasting about our congregation, how long we've been here, uh, where our congregation is at, or are we boasting in Jesus and what he has done? Is our work in our, as a congregation about the gospel being going out, or is it about uh, continuing the institution that's in front of us? All right. Fantastic way to tie everything in. We'll wrap it up here. So this is Michael Zarling with Dave Rudot and better lightning than never. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.